This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. It really, it gets everybody choked up who listens to this song. This makes me think about the times where I've been heavily infatuated in someone. <laughs> I don't know if I was in love. But there have been times where I've experienced heavy infatuation. Currently, I am right now. Welcome to Y-Tunes Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tunes Shuffle. We can just do a show. How about that? Yeah, we could do a show. I love it. I'm having having sense memory of my phase with cocaine. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> and I think my neighbor, my across the hall neighbor, was doing cocaine last night. Oh wow! How can yeah. you tell? What do you? How do you know? I'm, well, th- th- we are in the Santa Anas, or there's some sort of wind event happening in Southern California and in the Valley, uh-huh. and as a result, there is Valley fever that a lot of people are experiencing, and this has like a congestion thing, a nausea thing, and upper chest respiratory. Thing. That's what that is. It is. I mean, I was next to a guy on a treadmill uh, for honest to God, 45 minutes the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I didn't know I didn't know how to sort of address it without getting stomped because he was a big guy, and I and I know that it was this, but it could have been. Was that been like the guy. only treadmill that you could have been on? Like you couldn't have moved over? Well, in or, in this particular YMCA, the one that's on uh, Van Owen in Reseda, in order to see the screens, both CNN and the local news feed, you've got to stand on a particular elliptic trainer. I I never uh, got that, like why people would work out and watch the news at the same time. Like what a not motivating thing to keep you moving. I remember the day it happened for me. It was the it was the bank robbery on Victory. It was that big shootout. Oh, wow. oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I was I was at Sports Club LA. Uh, Eben might remember this. When I came to LA, I had a show on uh-huh. TV. And so there was a lot of extra money to join Sports Club LA and see Magic Johnson in the hot tub. <laughs> And see wow. Magic Johnson's Johnson, my first class. <laughs> but anyways, that shootout, Johnson. and I remember going the extra mile, literally watching that Northridge shootout. That's that the first time. That was crazy. Time. Yeah, I definitely remember that. One of my first LA experiences. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you remember that also? Oh yeah, yeah. Where where, where were you? I, I think I can't remember if I was living down here yet. I may have been because I did. I commuted for like a year. Okay. Before living here. Commuted from where? From uh, San Francisco area. Wow. Area. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, I think I was. I think I was here when that happened. I think I was living with Roger Rittenhouse and Tony Kameen at that point. The, the traveling cocktail party. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just remember that was just so brazen and crazy, and seeing that unfolding was like, what? Yeah, I feel like I just learned about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. I'm dating a former police officer who remembers that vividly and had to learn about that in in his in the academy and talks oh, about I'll it. Oh, I bet that yeah. must be talk about a teaching moment. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You're talking about Chad Ridgely, stand-up comic genius, former cop. Slash filmmaker, yeah, former Slash cop. Film, yeah. He was also he was also on the show. That was part of his training? Yeah, isn't that crazy? He's, and he would like show me I hate when he shows me cop videos. I'm like, it's so violent, I can't handle it. Oh my god. It's too yeah. intense. Um, but enough about David and I, <laughs> <laughs> this is because us. this is not a show about us. This is a show about amazing content creators like our guest today on y Shuffle, Eben Schlatter. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. You do a lot of things. I was stalking you on IMDb today, and I know that you and David have been friends for a long time, but you do all the things, and most excited <laughs> for me is... Um, SpongeBob SquarePants. Ah, yes. And I'll tell you why is because I've been working in radio for like 14 years. And when I first started, I loved that show so much that I would send my tape and resume to program directors and I would put (laughs) SpongeBob stickers all over the package. (laughs) And in the head of the cover letter, I'd be like, I'm ready, I'm ready, which is something that he says to hire Maggie Mayfield. So I have like a deep affection for SpongeBob SquarePants and I saw you did that. I was like, oh my God. So Uh I want to know all about it. And you're probably like, "Eh, it's not even the most exciting part of your career, but. No, I really love having, you know, working on that show. It's Mm -hmm. not a, um, the way they do music on that show is there's multiple sources. Most of the music scoring wise is is library music. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I got, that show I had an interesting little arc with is that, um, 
I got contacted to do spec demos years and years, you know, before they started. Yeah. We're looking for a composer. And so I did like five different pieces and um, did not get the job. And, but they did something that no one does. What is it? Which was they sent me a very nice uh, thank you for submitting and mm. uh, we're going in a different direction, but oh we really gosh. appreciate you submitted. Usually you just get ignored after that. You know, you sub- right. you know, you do spec demos and then you just never hear anything and they disappear. Um, I found out later. So then, then a couple years later, I get a call from them because Tom Kenny recommended me for a song parody. So the very first thing I did for them was the song um, uh, where where SpongeBob gets lost in a bet. And it's the, um, a stove is a stove, no matter where you go, that <laughs> yes. duet. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's like a Disney parody. And so Tom Kenny was like, Evan's good with those parody type things. So they had me come in and do that. And then ever since then, it's just sort of a song by song basis, but I've been working with them since. Wow. So some seasons will have more songs than others. And there's other people that do songs as well. But mm-hmm. um, but it's, you know, done a lot of stuff since then. Um, then I found out that um, from the music editor on the show that what happened was they decided actually to not have a composer because they went, I think, both for budget but also for the sensibility. Because um, I usually – I don't like the use of library tracks on shows a lot because because it usually pulls, pulls me as a – you know, I'm a music nerd. So it pulls me out of it because it a lot of times you can tell that it's just a library track thrown in and, and there's no uh, – um, consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of comedy shows that are low budget, you'll hear, oh, here's a generic Western thing and a generic this, and there's right. no like voice of the show. But with SpongeBob, it totally works because they they specifically wanted that. They wanted a scattered, crazy approach. They did not want like a Carl Stalling, you're scoring it to picture type of thing, which mm-hmm. is what I was kind of had. I, the demos I did originally were sort of like Martin Denny meets Carl Stalling kind of and, and Carl Stalling. I mean, when you think music, you th- who the hell is Carl Stalling? Yeah. Carl Stalling. <laughs> <laughs> no, Carl- just for our listeners. Oh, yes, I yes. Guess. Carl, if you don't know, Carl Stalling did all the, the Warner Brothers cartoons. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, all okay. the crazy uh, – yeah, exactly. Where where you – there's solid music, those cartoons, but you don't necessarily think of it because they become the sound effects, the sound is on everything. Every oh. motion is oh, scored. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, that approach is very – synced to picture heavily and that's not the approach they do on spongebob they go for different energies and different you know and and it's a whole other vibe and people weren't and the other thing is to their credit too that wasn't being done that that way at that time very Mm. much the library approach it's become much more normalized since then since reality tv hit more and budgets went through the floor yeah and so it's like well let's just pull some library tracks and so so many shows and i think people are a lot more used to seeing shows that are just uh the music is brought to you in from different sources just from a library as opposed to like a person who's yeah coming up with a sensibility for the show now that's not true with like drama usually and stuff but you don't think about music in shows like that like i guess to me in my head like unless it's danny elfman yeah like i don't it's not something that i think about but i guess we should. There are so many guests that come on the show and, and bring music from movies or television shows that have been impactful to them. So, Yeah, and that was my childhood. I was a, a film score nerd, um, kind of stumbled into it, That's as you normally do. You'll see a movie and you want to hear a song from it. Yeah. My first score was Rocky. Okay. And uh, before Star Wars. And then Star Wars, of course. Most score nerds, Star Wars was, the th- of my age anyway, mm-hmm. Star Wars was the big one. But... Um, I got the Rocky score because I wanted to hear that song "Gonna Fly Now," but then the other tracks on that album, I listened to the whole album all the time. And the same thing with Star Wars—you wanted to hear that theme, you wanted to hear the Cantina Band, but then, you know, it was two two big vinyl records full of stuff. And yeah. so, were you yeah. involved in other music as well, or did this launch your interest overall in music and, and scoring? Um, that launched my interest in scores for mm-hmm. sure. I was taking piano lessons, and I okay. had a lot of music classes as a kid. What was interesting, my parents definitely wanted me to be musical, and yet they were completely unsupportive of it as a career at the time, <laughs> yeah. which was very baffling. It was like, well, you're the one who had me go to this after-school program where, you know, I had this, there was a great, like, uh, St. John's Church in Berkeley. Um, you would go to your, I went to a John Muir school, and so, like, after class, it was like third grade, 
you would you'd finish your class and then you'd go get a bus that bus would take you over to St. John's Church and then you'd have like two or three periods where you, sort of there were like electives that you would have like and I took clarinet and um I can't remember what else and then everyone would you'd always end up in choir everyone had to take choir at the end right and so uh oh I had saxophone I think too um the wind instruments. The wind instruments, which I ended up not doing much after that with. But um, funny, you're with comedians now, though. So in a way, you are so with that the wind. Yes, <laughs> folks. So, <laughs> so anyway, there was a lot of music and piano lessons and stuff too. And um, so they just wanted me to have it as a hobby. They thought you'll have this your whole life, and and it'll it'll be good for you to be able to sure. amuse yourself it'll with playing ladies, piano. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. right. It'll make you a well-rounded person. <laughs> When you go do something solid and go to college like you're supposed to do and and So they were doing the right thing. They just didn't know what direction they were really sending you at the time. And I just have to ask, you know, because we talked earlier, uh, I'm involved in education. Does that still happen in San Francisco within your school district? I mean, that's such an enriching program. But my sense is is they probably cut it by now. I think that probably my sense, you know, we moved out of Berkeley to Piedmont right when they passed Prop 13, which is what started gutting the schools of all these programs. Three periods of like choir and music and bye bye. Yeah, that was gone. Um, The other thing I did in middle school was they had a film class and you could get your hands on a Super 8 camera and the editing stuff, the little. uh, And so I was making films and um, then Prop 13 passed and then they did away with the film department of the school. And I remember going into the principal's office going, well, can I borrow the cameras? They're sitting there locked up in a thing. Nope, can't touch them. Sorry, we're not allowed to let you do that. What? So it was just, I had all this gear stuck in a closet that was locked away and you just couldn't do anything with it. Um, So they still kept their band class, which I never took. I never took music classes as part of the school proper. Mm -hmm. Um, Just had outside lessons. And like that, I I don't know what how my parents stumbled on this thing at that church. Um, but there was a lot going on at that church. I was a Boy Scout, and that's where our meetings were for that, too. St. John's cool. in Berkeley. How cool, man. I don't know if it's still there or whatever happened to it, but... You were a Boy Scout. How far did you get up the ladder? Uh, tenderfoot. Yeah. Almost second class. Almost. <laughs> did you go to camp? Oh, I went to camp, yeah. So did I. I learned yeah. a lot of things that weren't part of the merit badge system. Yes. Boy Scout camp. <laughs> me Good old too. Camp Barton on Lake Cayuga. <laughs> but again, not about me. <laughs> well, you must have an interesting Fave Five. Shall we dig in? Sure. All Let's right. launch it. Let's go with song number one. That is heard from Munich too, where there was once so much to do. It was once a green mansion, and now it's a wasteland. Our days of breakfast fun are through. Love that launch. Go! All right, Evan. So who is this and why this, this song? This is the adolescence. And so when I was 14, I got into the punk rock. My friends were, you know, I think it was my friend Squid. We'll call Squid. him Squid. Sure. Uh, he's, a lawyer. he's a lawyer now. That's not his real name. That was his nickname. Oh, okay, okay. We'll his go punk Squid. rock nickname. Um Ended up in a band with him, and uh, he, me and him, uh, when I first moved to Piedmont, I felt like a complete outcast, and he's the very first person I met first day of school in middle school, and we were both obviously the, no one's going to talk to these weirdos, so we talked to each other and struck up a great friendship, and the punk music just resonated for us, and um you know, it started with bands like Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and stuff. And then this album came out, The Adolescence. And that song, the whole album's great. And um, But that song, I picked it because, uh, for one thing, throughout living in the Bay Area, I lived in Berkeley, I lived in Oakland, I lived in San Francisco. And given 
going to school in Berkeley and working in San Francisco or whatever the situation was, I would constantly be having to go over the Bay Bridge. Mm. And I had this cassette with a bunch of songs on it. And somehow for years, that song would always just time out where I'm getting on the bridge huh. and that song would go. That's wild. So that's one thing. So it's really of that time. But I also picked it because I think there's a lot of things that that song kind of represents to me about what I liked about that scene, what I liked about that kind of music. Um, it's very anthemic. The lyrics are, are completely bleak. Um, kids of the Black Hole, it's about kids just getting fucked up and uh, doing their drugs and not it, having any vision of where they're going to go. But then yeah. it ha and all that has to end. Um, and so it's got a bit of nostalgic. It's kind of like, remember when we used to just get wasted all the time kind of thing. Oh, yeah. um, and yet it's done by a band who at the time I'm sure was very young. They're not old enough to be <laughs> truly nostalgic for yeah. it. It was like, remember two years ago when we used to do all that? <laughs> oh, man, those were the days. Um, but now for so you got plucked out of the uh, Berkeley at 14 and went to Piedmont, which is like a bedroom community outside of San Francisco. What is Piedmont is actually right in between Berkeley and Oakland. It's between and, Berkeley. Okay. And here's what a weird thing it was. So, you know, my whole childhood up to up to about 14, or I guess 13 is when we first moved there. Um, uh, I had never heard of it. And when they said, we're moving to Piedmont, I was like, but I want to stay in California. I didn't realize <laughs> 15 minutes over oh, on okay. the, you know, on the freeway over. Uh, and it was kind of a shocking change. Um, for one thing, in Berkeley, I didn't realize this, but they had busing. This was, you know, yeah. civil rights sure. era. And I didn't realize that the fact that I had a complete complete racial mix of people through all the way up through sixth grade, and I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but that was made to happen through busing. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. So then you go to Piedmont, and it's completely white. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just say what, what, what pops in my head is um, Piedmont made me really re uh, like the beginning of uh, what is um, David Lynch's the big famous movie, which I'm on no sleep, so I'm remember, forgetting That's names. Right. Blue Velvet? Blue Velvet, yeah. yes. You know, the opening of Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah. That's Piedmont. Like white picket fence. Okay. And the yeah, uh, waving, yeah, and then sure. you go down into the underbelly, and it's just this, because, you know, there's, it was a, it was a weird experience moving there. It's beautiful physically. Right. It's kind of upper middle class houses. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the first time I'd ever dealt my older sister was the first one we ever heard the word kike. Wow. In Piedmont. In Piedmont. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first time I ever saw Klan uh, flyers with running N-word and running Jew and targets on them. Yeah, yeah. From the son of one of the police officers there. Oh, my god. Welcome gosh. to Piedmont. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a weird and, you know, that was when, you know, I started getting bullied. And, I mean, it was a... It was definitely a place where, and I was just old enough though to be like, okay, fuck you guys. This is uh, where the punk rock, I think, came in. Absolutely. Squid. Yeah. yeah. So I me and Squid anything, were like, yeah. fuck you guys. And of, and of course, it was one of those things where, so like, I remember the first day I showed up with my torn up shirt and the Clash written on it. Ah! And, all and they're like, the Clash, what are you, fag? And all this stuff. And I took huge amounts of shit for liking Devo and, and The Clash oh, and all that early punk stuff. And just like, you're a creep, you're a weirdo, right? Um, me and the few friends of us that were into this. And um, boy, in middle school, there was one that was very dramatic. I remember there was this girl, Daisy. And I remember when she showed up, this was before, before I went punk, she went punk. I didn't even know her. I'm sitting in a classroom. This is a, a school that's got like three floors. Mm -hmm. And you hear screaming, like hundreds of people like, ah, like what is going on? I run out and everyone is just like, ah, pointing like, ah, look at her. And and there's Daisy in her pink hair and oh, her vinyl, super cool new wave punk outfit. And just fuck all of you walking down the hall. And they're all wow. just like huge mass trying to shame her. Just oh, And I was just like heartbroken, like what? fuck all you people. What is your problem? Right. Um, and the more I dealt with stuff there, it got me to be a very like angry kid. And so the, the punk music was sort of a uh, revelation, the they energy it, of it, yeah. the anger of it. And um, at the same time, I was listening to a lot of 60s music, a lot of Dylan and hippie stuff. So I was, the punk thing seemed like a logical extension. It was like hippies were trying to change the world through peace and love. And the punk music 
came along and said, that didn't work, did it? We got to get a little <laughs> more pissed off. <laughs> we, instead of like peace and love, mellow out, it's like, hey, fuck you. I'm yeah. not taking your Reagan shit. Reagan Thatcher. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, so then I eventually befriended her and some other, the handful of us that became the punks in the school. And, and the wonderful irony of a couple years later, they're playing whip it at the football rallies and oh, rock sure. at the Casbah. And it's like, do I get an apology or anything? Anybody? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. No. Okay. Right. Fuck you still. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a rebellious time. And how did you find that music? Do you have, like you said you have an older sister? I always think there's like the older brother that introduces us. To right. Music. Well, interestingly, my older sister and I were complete opposites with music. Um, our history. <laughs> was uh, when pre-Piedmont, um, she was driven crazy by me. And I, I look on it now and I see completely how this all happened. <laughs> My parents were like, take Evan with you. Oh, you're doing that? Have Evan do it with you. And it's like, a, can a kid have their own identity here? And so between me and her, she came to me and was like, you can't listen to my music. Oh my gosh. I had to get permission from her as a child to like certain bands. Um, like what? So the big one that I got, that uh -huh. my score, like she was into the Jackson 5, okay. Silvers, Bootsy Collins, oh, Funkadelic, wow. all this really cool stuff. I wasn't allowed to listen to any of that. Oh, what a shame. Um, that's mine. That, you can't have that. Right? I've never heard of this. <laughs> I give my records back. But yeah. Hands off. Yeah. And this is, you know, we're young. And, um, so I, I remember asking, can I like Queen? Yes, you can like Queen. <laughs> I don't care about Queen. So I, I felt as time went by, I went, I don't know. I think like I might have gotten the better end of this deal. I don't know. Yeah. I got Queen. And then certain things were grandfathered in. Like the Beatles had been, my parents would play it in the car. And so the Beatles were kind of like, oh, everyone listens to the Beatles. That doesn't count. Right. The stuff that you're identifying yourself with, the stuff sure. where you're feeling like you're part of a scene or whatever, and you're identifying with it, that was the stuff where like, that's mine. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember actually when I first and she was a drummer when it, we, she went to the same after school program she took drums she was a very good drummer and so this kind of pressure st stuck with me she went off to Syracuse for college and I'm in high school and my still and my friends start a band they have me they Squid is the one uh -huh, sure. lawyer now. Uh -huh. uh, he's like, we need a drummer for the band. I'm like, I don't play drums. I play piano. because it's an instrument. And you hit it. <laughs> Can't argue oh with God. this man's logic. <laughs> Cut to I'm a drummer now. But I felt really weird about it. I'm like, my sister's going to be mad at me. I'm doing her thing. That oh. was her instrument. So I called her up and I said, I'm sorry. I just got to tell you, I'm doing drums. Oh, cool. Oh, you're not mad? What? Yeah, I thought that was like your thing. That was when we were kids. What do you know? It's fine. What are you talking about? Enough to go around. All the way to Syracuse she went from, from Piedmont. Yeah. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah. Wow. So here I'm trying to imagine this punk scene because I remember Kevin Dunn at DeWitt Junior High School saying, why don't we come over here? Rocket to Russia. And he was playing with the Ramones. I remember when that was all happening. And I'm just trying to figure out when does ba 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 How do you filter that in in a night of partying with punks? Well, that was a funny thing is I still guilty pleasure. I stuck to my guns with the soundtracks. Then I got into Ennio Morricone. That was a big one. I was into the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and all that stuff. I almost put that on on this list. But because that was a big Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But no, it was like, that's the stuff that I would play. And a lot of my punk friends would be like, oh, nothing with strings in it, man. Because <laughs> yeah. I liked scores and yeah. all that. But, uh, uh, but some of them liked that. You yeah, know, I'd sneak in cool. West Side Story. When you, when you put in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, people don't count that as like, no, no. Yeah, you hear that guitar and you're like, okay, this is cool. Well, things are clearing up now. Why you are what you are and how you are today. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that story alone, my God. We're just starting with our songs. I know. Are we allowed to like this next one? <laughs> are, you, are you allowed to? I guess. <laughs> I'll give you permission. Everybody yes. can play. All right. Here's song number two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Be given the right to be carefree and gay once again. Mm -hmm. 
I love it. I have no idea. What, what's Spike going? Jones. This okay. makes so much more sense now, having an idea of like <laughs> now, who you are. That song, the first time I heard that song, my dad. It was my birthday, twenty-first birthday. Wow. My dad gave me this best of the one you have on your phone there, the best mm-hmm. of Spike Jones, and um, that's the song he played. He gave me a beer. Aww. Plays that, you know, respectfully drinking like civilized ladies and men. And then it goes into that. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's so great. Wait, keep uh, listening. It gets so good. We'll be so glad we're both alive. <laughs> then maybe fortune will complete the plan that all began with cocktails <laughs> I love your dad for thinking of this for you. Yeah. It's really nice. Oh my God, it's so great. And then, okay, so my punk and rock and roll friends, um, at that point, 21, I'm playing in bands, punk bands, everything like a glam punk band, and a lot of rock and roll, right? And so I'm surrounded by all people who like hard rock and roll. So I was already driving them crazy when I'd play soundtrack music. But now I'm like, oh my God, I got to hear everything this guy's ever done. <laughs> and so listening to Spike Jones, um, you know, at this time in my life, by the way, I never really thought I would ever be involved in comedy. It never even crossed my mind to be involved in that at all. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I would do things like, um, you know, back before VHS, I would take a cassette and cassette recorder and record the TV. A lot of people have done oh, that. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, that's, you know, scores. You'd, you know, record a movie um, to get some music. But I would record, I remember recording the San Francisco Big Laugh Off. Uh, Marshall Warfield was one of my favorites in oh, that. Oh, wow. And um, so I would, I would listen to stand-up a lot, mm-hmm. and um, but I didn't really think of it as a thing. And then, so then here is this music that's just completely silly, <laughs> and the idea of music being funny in musical terms, not with lyrics, not parodying. Um, uh, I just loved that. And also, I just really was like as crazy and goofy and dated as this is, it's like the musicianship is also super badass. Mm. Like, and other stuff that he did, you know, he would do like the Nutcracker and other stuff and play it like at three times Tell. the speed, yeah, yeah. you know. And yeah, William Tell Overture, where they're talking all, they're doing a whole goofy thing um, over it, but the band in the background is still going super fast, tight on a dime. And so I loved the musicianship and I loved the silliness of it and that old era. And then it introduced me to so many other kinds of music and other artists because when I realized that he's basically taking songs of the day and doing his twisted version of them, now I wanted to hear the originals. And so that got me into all kinds of different uh, older music and you went down the YouTube hole before it was cool. Before it was YouTube, yeah. and it took a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And um, do you remember much of your 21st birthday after that first cocktail? Uh, not much. That, that it was kind of mellow because I was at my parents' house and it was like I had. The thing is, honestly, the, the funny thing too is here I am. My dad's like, here, you can have a beer. Right. And I'm like, I've been drinking heavily since I was 14, 15. <laughs> this is not my first beer. But he doesn't need to know that. Right, right. Um, I think it's important for parents to have, like, a first beer with you and it's legal. Like, my mom, it was important to my mom, too. And did you, was that a thing for your family? No, well, it was for my grandfather. You know, my dad was a high school health educator and a state champion football coach. And he was, he just, he, because of his health education, he chose to not drink, to set an example. And, like, teetotalers, for, for right. the most part. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather... Offered my friend Pat Conley and I our first beer. Same story. It was like we've yeah. been drinking forever and we didn't quite know how to respond. Right. And so we have a Bud Long Neck with Grandpa. He goes into the house, comes back out with three more offering. And we both had the same thought at the same time we clarified later, which was he's testing us. He's offering us a second one because he, he wants to see if we're boozers already. And we're like, well, we're not sure, Gramps. And he goes, you can't fly on one wing. And at that point, we're like, okay. 
<laughs> it was on like Leprechaun, but yeah, it was with grandpa's. Absolutely, absolutely. And we, did he do a thing of like, hmm, three, and you're not that drunk yet? No, Interesting. Oh no, he was happy to have drinking buddies. He was happy to have drinking buddies. Yeah, yeah, good guy, Grandpa Waterman. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. So and you were in college at this time, or studying? Yeah, what, yeah, I was in college. Uh, I was studying at that point. I might. I can't remember if I switched off. I, when I first got to college, I thought I was going to be a, a marine biologist. Oh wow! And then I switched to the rhetoric department because when you're in the sciences, um, all the prerequisites for marine biology were like organic chemistry and physics, which are all really tough, and they just weeded you out if you were the person who was partying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, but rhetoric, I got into. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> And, um, but that ended up being my major with, you know, you're studying literature and I liked it cause it had so many disciplines to it. It's all, you know, knowing your audience, communicating and a lot of people, that's why I, that's why it eventually led me to law school. Cause most people who do the rhetoric, uh, curriculum end up in law school. It's usually kind of thought of as a pre-law thing, mm -hmm. but, um, there's a huge, there's a whole other side to it that I think they also started diminishing in the school as years went on, which is, a. a literary side, uh, a rhetoric as a um, literature interpretation. I took a great symbolism class that was a great school experience because like day one, I'm like, oh, this is going to be rich, pretentious because so, I had so many pretentious teachers. And then so like I get in this symbolism class and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be terrible. So we start analyzing poems huh. and um, first poem we analyze and it, 20 minutes in, the, the guy's like, okay, move on to the next one. Next one, it's going on and on and people are reading all kinds of stuff and then I'm going, I knew it. This was just such bullshit. And he goes, well, I think the thing here is that we could just go on and on, um, but this poem really just isn't symbolic. I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, not everyone actually operates in a symbolic mode. And when it's when they're when the artist is not in control of it, you could interpret it any number of ways. We could talk about it for four hours. That first poem you'll notice, we kind of got to an answer after a while. It's pretty much, it was more clear. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give, this guy's cool. And that ended up being great. Interesting. Is yeah. that is that kind of what we're doing here with Y Tune Shuffle? The symbolism that we bring to uh, music as listeners, pure listeners, without any sort of expertise. I'm speaking for myself, especially. It's like that particular song just happened to hit a chord, no pun intended, with me and registers a part of my life that will always be reignited. Every time I hear this song, is that yeah. the symbolism that we're- I speaking? think, well, I think in his case, in that class, he was talking about where the artist is really in control of it, where okay. where you will get out of it, what you get out of it and what I get out of it will not be that far apart. Ah, okay. Because okay. the artist has made it so clear in what they're doing that we're going to be in this, you won't be like, oh, that song always makes me sad. I'm like, oh, that song always made me happy. You know, <laughs> okay, it's, right. it, they won't be that different. I gotcha. But, but the, the, so the reading in of the interpretation- which, by the way, reminds me of a great Robert Frost quote where somebody asked him about different interpretations of his poem. And his answer was, I think I'm entitled to all the meanings. Like, in other words, ah. if you get something out of it that he didn't consciously intend, he's entitled to that. Yeah. So um, and and one's not invalid. They both, you know, you, you put your experience into it and you get out of it what you get out of it. Mm -hmm. But what I liked about that particular class was it was the idea of trying to control that and trying to... Uh, and it, yeah, I, did, I really noticed that he's right. Most art is not necessarily done in that mode. The the what you get out of it is pretty much surface or one level under. You don't necessarily have uh, a whole other level of symbolism and metaphor, mm -hmm. you know, or mythic language to it and whatnot. Not everything has that. Right. Right. So. Um, and again, some poems were just vague and ambiguous, and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> there and was then, a man from Nantucket. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Pretty clear. Now, you could read symbolism into that. Surely. In a lot surely. of ways. It's a representative of where our society is right now, you know. <laughs> Are you familiar with that, Maggie? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you didn't read, I was hoping for a bigger laugh. Oh. Okay. I got in trouble using that poem. At <laughs> <laughs> See, wow. You're bringing Ooh. your own. That poem in a in an improv class. Oh, and we were learning. I can't remember what it's called. Limericks, I guess, is what it's called. And so. we had to do like improvised limericks. So there were five five or six of us, and we would stand in a line and we would deliver one line at a time. And I started with Nantucket, like 
here's an example. And then I cussed on stage, and I got in so much trouble. Uh, this is a kid-friendly show. Oops, I didn't know. Oh, I'm, boy. I was... I'm like, you said improv, so <laughs> anything goes. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to improve it. <laughs> yeah, right? Wow. Um, I love that song very much. Oh. Spike Jones. Um, <clears throat> mostly because he's a big radio guy, too. So yeah. in my repertoire, like, oh, it's, that was pretty great. So thank you for choosing that. Can we go to song number three? Sure. Oh, my God. Oh my god. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> I don't know them. I didn't listen to any of them. <clears throat> ah, this is what it's next. We're taking it this down. This one's pretty now. low, yeah. It's the classical piece. I love it. It just my mind just opens up, so it's just a million places. Just so you know, M and I too also put together a Y Tunes Nuggets for each of your songs so as I listen to your songs I come through and and find facts about either the artist oh. or the song um, this one I had to do some digging but he was mm. Berlioz? Yeah, this is uh, Hector Berlioz. Uh, this is the Requiem Mass that he wrote. He's famous for another piece, the Symphony Fantastique. Mm -hmm. And um, this is one of those things where I started to... Well, first of all, I, I this whole piece is... I, I went through a phase where I would just listen to a bunch of Requiem Masses. I was not in a happy space. And this is like the darkest, cloudiest, most brooding of all of them mm -hmm. for me. And um, it's it's cavernous and but also musically really to me just interesting the layers the layering yeah. of and this particular movement eventually builds up to this huge you know day of reckoning day of judgment thing where when it's performed live they literally have horn players up in the rafters wow like it's it's in the score of like okay place these guys on either side so it's like this. From back in the day, this is like, you know, sense around, you know. Um, it gets really huge, like, halfway through. Um, but this this whole Requiem Mass was, like, I recorded it onto a cassette, and it did not leave my car for months and months and months and months and months. And that was my headspace for a long time. It was a weird play, that, juggling with everything else. Um, there was... Uh, I don't know. I had a, a weird sense of just not being in the right place. And then I had real life. You know, I was already in that phase when I started experiencing the death of friends. I had three friends, close friends, within uh, just a few years all die. Mm. And so um, that music was just – that just was what I needed to listen to. <laughs> for a long time. Were you in Syracuse at this point? No, that this I was no no my sister was the one who went to Syracuse. I never oh, okay, went. Okay. Um I basically stayed in the Bay Area until I moved to LA. Okay. I mean I moved around in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. you know, Oakland, Piedmont and or San I lived in San when I was listening to that, I was in San Francisco at that point. And uh so but that is a whole like time of life and it was at the same time it was opening up, you know, I was listening to a lot of classical music, but um uh and then I also started tapping into, like, I, I started feeling like I'm listening to this guy's music and I got, but this guy was crazy or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I started reading up on him. I'm like, sure enough. Mm -hmm. So, like, the Symphony Fantastique, for example, um, he was in love with this woman in the theater and um, she wouldn't go out with him. Yeah. And then so he writes this the symphony that ends up making him famous and the premise of the symphony, it's, it's um, program music. So it's not just a symphony where they're, you know, you listen to the music. He actually wrote up the first movement has this happened. And it's all about this guy passionately in love with this woman. And, uh, and she will not be with him. So he attempts suicide with like some sort of drug, uh, narcotic drug but he doesn't die and the symphony is the whole hallucination that he has near death what year and this is like 1800s 18, yeah, 1830s <laughs> yeah. or 40s and yeah. so um wow. and i remember actually there's in some of the parts where it gets really big <laughs> 
my friend Jules, who was in a punk band with me, because he got this, me and him had a lot of, you know, he, he, he went there with all the eclectic stuff where other friends were like, stop playing all this weirdness. He loved all of it. He's the one who turned me on to Martin Denny. Oh. But um, I remember listening to this and he knew that, or listening to Symphony Fantastique anyway, um, and listen, and you knew that story. And when it gets really big and crazy, he, he was like, you bitch. Like he, he just like. <laughs> He was like, Arctic, very funny. Like, yeah, that's what it's, it's pretty much that symphony is like when the guy, when you say no to the guy at the bar and he gets mad at you. Uh So, but instead of him getting mad at you, he wrote a symphony. And so then sure enough, she was like, you know, now he's famous and he wrote this whole thing for her. So she's very impressed. So they get married and they get divorced right after. Because of course it didn't work out. Uh, It's just (laughs) art. That's not going to work. It wasn't love. Yeah. But it's also the the level. and, And then I did actually, you know, later on in life, experience that kind of of an infatuation where you're like so infatuated with somebody. And then I kind of knew at the time, I was like, this can't possibly work because this is not healthy. This, this You're not going to marry the person that you're this obsessed with, that you're putting them on some crazy path. How can they, that's got to be really awkward and horrible for them. It's not going to work out. So, um, yeah. Did you write a symphony? No, but I did something maybe as crazy. Which is? I built a balsa wood castle. What's like that? Like two and a half foot tall castle like like a princess how can you teach children how to castle. read if they can't even fit inside the building <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> <laughs> and it was like i'm giving you this it was like what what i don't what <laughs> two and a half feet tall what yeah it was a big beautiful castle like, from like scratch Disney. or like, yeah yeah i built kit. it from scratch no oh i built it from God. scratch had you wow. ever done something like that before no you're just like you need a castle lady here yeah yeah what did she say? Thanks. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and it ended up in a garbage bin. Oh no! no. Well, she had no place to put it after a while. She kept it for a while, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, it's all fine. Sure, of course, yeah. yeah. With time, it only took With me time. six months to make. No big deal. <laughs> it did, yeah, but. <laughs> Uh, but and it, and it, at the time I'm even doing it, it's like I'm going, am, am I insane? This is just crazy, right? And I'm and I was like, you know what? Just go through, mm-hmm. you know. Just this is you're feeling what you're feeling. Just take it where it leads you. I don't know. <laughs> it was nuts. Wow. I, I, I yeah, I wished I'd done more of that. I've stopped <laughs> myself on these journeys many many times, and it's uh, you know, bravo. You know, uh, you finished it. There's got to be. Yeah, something. I don't regret. I mean, and even her throwing it away is sort of like, well, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what should have happened with that. We're all going to get tossed. Castles in the sand, made of sand. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so at this time you're about what in your uh, mid twenties? That was mid twenties. Yeah, a lot of these are kind of yeah. Most of these are actually ended up kind of in a similar. Mm-hmm. I think everything I picked is pre LA. Really? Um, and. Uh, but because that's where the influences were. Once I came to LA, it was more like now, now you work, now we go, to and work. now you just work. Yeah. And there's no time. I, I wasn't able to really explore the way I did before. Uh, what am I doing with my life? Where's my, where's my life and mind going? You know, what am I going to do? I don't want to jump the gun, myself. but does the next tune sort of talk about that? I think the, the what did what did we got? Oh, is that what I said? Yes, actually, yes. Oh, the next, well, in, in a really weird way, uh, this, it's this, part of exploration. This is where I cross paths with Evan Schleder. Except yeah. for I don't know, we'll see. A little early. <laughs> this one is a. All right. Well, here we go to song number four. <laughs> Remember this? I'm not there yet. This is a pretty obscure track for even for people who know the group. Oh, so I, I missed so much. There's so much I'm learning in this show. Like <laughs> I, I mean, I may not know what this is at all. This is a weird one. This is a this weird, is a weird one. one, Evan. Uh, this is the residents who were completely weird. Bay Area band. The guys with the eyeballs, oh, okay. famous, the suits with eyeballs. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is kind of representative. It builds up to like the guy doing this weird nonsensical poem and it's crazy. Uh-huh. Um, that, so, <laughs> I, this is the stuff I was listening to before I had access to drugs. 
Because really? it's pretty much like being on drugs when you listen to this. Is that what it feels like? Uh, yeah. Okay. And also, <laughs> it's it's weird and to me also hilarious. Like just the little. Yeah. It's like what? And it goes it, little. Like, no it's beat. offbeat. Yeah. And, it, and it's just kind of like some weird bird or something squawking in some weird surreal tree or something somewhere. What's the nugget on this? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Because <laughs> I mean, I, li- <laughs> I listen to this and I think of um, of uh, what's her name? Phoebe from Friends, where she's like smelly cat. But then she, but then like Ross is like, no, I can play too. And then he just hits on the keyboards like. Wah, 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 wah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, just me. The residents whoopy snorp. Whoopy snorp. <laughs> These guys figured out technology pretty early and produced a lot of music. Seventy-eight albums, to be exact. 39 compilations and 41 singles and EPs. That's a lot. And for the longest time, they never played live. Um, and so, and and they were anonymous. Oh, really? You don't, to this day, so I, don't know, is like, yeah. I don't know who they are. They haven't ever revealed themselves. Not that I know of. Wow. Um, one of the eyeballs got stolen from when they did start playing live. Someone stole one of the, the big eyeballs. And they were like, did. never again. And... Um, they're I like don't know Daft what, Punk before I kind of lost – I once they – after some year, I was really into them for a long time. And then I kind of – as I went other ways, I didn't keep up. So there's a lot of records that I missed later – the later stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> that song in particular was one of my favorites. I had actually like – at the time, I don't know if I remember it now. There, there's a – that builds up to this weird voice coming in and saying this poem – um, something like the the condemned mind snares and flows, but nobody gives it a rosebud. By the end of this moral apathy, <laughs> it just goes on. You're like, what are you talking about? And it's totally insane. Mm-hmm. And um, but it was a to me, it represented like a version of you're tr- trying to expand your mind, different consciousness perspectives, mm-hmm. which is what drugs end up being. Potentially. Um, yeah. Potentially. Uh, well, drugs have are a very complex thing. They have a, uh, in our country, of course, the minute you say it, it's like, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Drugs are bad. Don't mm-hmm. do them, period. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, part of the reason I think you never, you're never going to stop ki- kids from doing it is because you say drugs are bad. Don't do them. And then you read about how the Beatles did them and they did Sgt. Pepper. So you're going, how bad could it be if this was the result <laughs> of drug use? Right. So, um, and the, the the truth of it is it depends on what you're doing, who you're doing it with, what your perspective is, why you're doing it. There's so many other – whether or not you have any kind of predisposition to be uh, an addictive personality, whether or not you've had traumatic things in your life that make it so that uh, you're going to use the drugs to fill spaces that you can't otherwise do, which is more – you're kind of in a higher risk for going down the problem path with it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm one who uh, – I know people who have OD'd and died, and I know people who have uh, had big problems with drugs. Um, but uh, and but at the same time, I have very fond memories of listening to that song in a, in a state that is far gone. Yeah, and it is hilarious in that state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but the resonance as a band and that song sort of representing it. it, it that again, I don't know. I don't know if I. I never intentionally was like listening to music to drive all my friends crazy. And you know, I had friends who really loved that stuff. And we, but we were always like, if you want to clear the party, just yeah. put some residents on. <laughs> everyone will go home. Yeah, it's time to go. Um, right there. <laughs> uh, I could totally see myself getting lost in it, though. I mean, if I had heard this at a in a particular state of mind, for sure. I mean, it's captivating. And both the last two songs, I, I've not had any familiarity with them, but they've even in this very sober state, drew me in quite, quite nicely. Yeah, it's, and I'm, no, I'm noticing something now, too. I realized um, I like builds and turns and intros mm-hmm. in song Because, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, the Spike Jones has mm-hmm. this intro, and then it turns. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the adolescent song, same thing. Yep. One of the ones coming up a little later will have that, have just a classic intro. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about that I like, that changing of state. You start one way, you have an expectation, and then you turn it on to something else. That's the comedian in you. And, I was yeah, going to say, yeah. Yeah, metaphorical. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've always responded to that, that, those kind of builds. And again, the, the Berlioz piece has a long one. I mean, it's building and building, and they add layers of harmonies, and then it gets to the big, you know, 
Judgment Day, and there's a huge turn there. And so uh, I like that kind of stuff. It's a big uh, – so, yeah, I, I wasn't conscious of it as I'm hearing them now. I'm like, oh, yeah, I always have that yeah. kind of thing going to them. That's cool. Um, well, should we dig in song number sure. five? Here we go. Last one. Squeaky rocking chairs, (laughs) the well worn welcome mat, the lattice vines, the happy times. All I want to do when the day is through is linger. Disneyland when I hear this. Yep. From the wicker swing. I'm in a world that I want to inhabit all the time. <laughs> especially the stage of my life. We'll watch the and it is Disney. It's the Sherman Brothers wrote, wrote the song. Um, this actually really is the exact opposite of that adolescent song. <laughs> it's a nostalgic kind of thing. The adolescence was like kids of the black hole we got no place to go we're in a desolate world and so we're just getting fucked up this is that song to me represents when when people are saying make america great again that's what they have in their head right that's what they think that would be this main street disneyland this this fantasy of america that never really existed Mm -hmm. um and i went through a huge in my 20s huge phase getting into disney stuff getting into the silly symphonies and getting into the music and getting into the Sherman brothers, um, which was another thing too, where I, I would listen to it and I, I got obsessed with them. They, they were for like a lot of songwriters there, you know, be like their influence to be Bob Dylan, John Lennon for me, Sherman brothers. That's wow. great. And, um, so, uh, and I picked that song because it's one that I don't think gets played enough and it's really sweet. And, mm-hmm. um, then it has, Burl Lives in it, which was the voice quit, of Disney, <laughs> which was my childhood too. Uh-huh. Um, and also, <laughs> uh, in my drunken days, I had a funny thought, which was you know, pre internet, and um, people would try to do uh, create rumors and um, what do you call it? urban legends. Yeah. And I really wanted to create an urban legend that that um, Burl Lives invented the Wawa pedal. <laughs> I thought that would be the coolest if we could somehow fool everyone into thinking that he invented the Wawa makes pedal. Makes sense. What's a Wawa pedal? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you put your guitar through it and uh-huh. it's step on it, and it, and it okay. makes it go Wawa, um, which would be, have nothing to do with the you know music that he did. But um, one of the things that uh, the same way when I listened to Berlioz and I went, I bet this guy was, and, and I started getting like a vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get into the Sherman Brothers, and I would. See, you know, I, I would I watched all these Disney movies, and every time there was like a bonus feature on like one of those old twelve inch laser discs, or whatever, and they'd have interviews wow. with them or snippets of them talking to Walt from the old shows, or whatever. I started noticing you've got Richard and Robert, and Richard would be the guy usually doing all the talking, mm-hmm. very jovial, and Robert would just kind of sit there quietly. And I started going, yeah, I wonder what's up with it. I wonder if when the cameras aren't rolling, he's like, can you let me get a word in or something? I wonder if it's like, <laughs> are they pissed at each other? And um, sure enough, uh, their children make a documentary called The Boys. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a documentary about the Sherman Brothers. I have to see this. And it confirmed everything I was thinking and then some. Oh, wow. What? It, I was like. That's incredible. It, it made me love them 10 times more. And it, and what what the story that I, that I didn't know was that uh, Robert was drafted into World War II and fought and was among the first American soldiers to liberate Dachau. So he saw some shit. He has a war injury. He came back with a permanent leg injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember if, if Richard just didn't get drafted or whatever, but he, you know, he's, so he's like the happy-go-lucky one. Wow, that's so and then crazy. Robert is the one who comes back from the war having seen the darkest shit that humanity has to offer, you know, mm-hmm. concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And so then when, when, so after that, when people would be like, oh, small world song, it's so corny. 
I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine writing that? Yeah. That's what you come back with and you write those lyrics for that song. One day I'm going to stand outside Small World and wait for that sarcastic kid to come out and say, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. I interviewed Evan. <laughs> fuck you. You're Come here, you problem. son of a little. You, you just fuck. Don't, you're why we can't have nice things. <laughs> this is great. So the, the Sherman Brothers wrote that song? So the Sherman Brothers wrote okay. Small World. They wrote this. They yeah. wrote Mary, all the Mary Poppins oh, songs. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Okay. Some of the songs in Jungle Book. Most of them all, but I think one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, I love them as songwriters. That song in particular. Oh, and the other thing with, that's interesting with them, I feel like all their stuff, unless they were trying not to be, their stuff is very timeless. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not dated in any way unless they are consciously doing one that's like, hey, this there's like an old Disney cartoon where they do a, a survey of music. So here's the 1920s song and the 1930s song. So they were purposely doing it there. And this one sort of is. It's a nostalgic Again, that kind of version of what Americana is. And the Spike Jones stuff a lot of times feels like that to me, too. That that feeling you get on Main Street at Disneyland. Yeah. That sort of down home. We're all in a neighborhood and it's that kind of, you know, Andy Griffith show. All that kind of that mm-hmm. same. Made me think of summer camp, you know. Um have you ever had an opportunity to meet the Sherman family or, or express your gratitude for their work? I did get a brief kind of handshake introduction to uh, Richard Sherman. Really? Yeah, at a BMI event. Um, Gary Gary Stockdale, I guess he had worked with him. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. And he's like, let me introduce it. I'm like, you get what really, really? And so he pulled me over and I couldn't say even half of what it was. just very nice to meet you. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, their big influence on me. Cool. um, yeah, I find their writing style just great, very direct. The lyrics in that song are very, in that song in particular, just very simple imagery, but fireflies and wicker swings, and it yeah. just mm-hmm. puts you right there. Yes, it does. You know? Yes, it does. So, these have been great. What an amazing Fave Five. Thank you for sharing your music. Oh, uh, quite welcome. We're not quite done Thank with you. you. I'm going to turn this over to David because we've got a little game that we like to play. This uh, is yes. the biggest little game in podcasting worlds. Uh, awesome. <laughs> so uh, let's we'll change up our, our tone just a little bit and, and and get into morning radio format maybe perhaps a little bit. This <laughs> The name of this game, Eben, is called uh-huh. Bar Name or Band Name. Oh, okay. I created it to change gears here for our Bar our little name. show. Uh, each week, our guest will will play this game and will give us a place to go uh, for the following week's guest. And it's very simple. I'm going to read the name of a bar from a particular locale somewhere in the world, and I'm going to read the name of a band from that same locale. Your job, along with Maggie, is to decide for yourself which one is the name of the bar and which one is the name of the band. Okay. All right. Now, our guest last week was Harry from our illustrious studios here in the... Uh, where are we exactly? Is this Burbank? No, this is Sherman. This is uh, Burbank. Well, this is, we're in Burbank. Yeah, we're in Burbank. Yeah, yeah, we're in Burbank. Right. Global Broadcasting Services. And Harry took us to Beachcomber, Fiji. Oh, have you wow. been to Fiji? I've never been to Neither Fiji. Neither have I. You've been to you've been to Fiji. I've been to Fiji. So you might be a ringer for this. <clears throat> now, if we were all in in Fiji, in Beachcomber, um, and we wanted to go out, hear some music, and have some food, I would say one of two things. I would say, hey guys. How about we go to Cloud Nine for dinner because Avenue Fiji is playing tonight. And oh my God, they rock. I could just as easily say, hey guys, how about we go to Avenue Fiji, get a little bite to eat and check out Cloud Nine. Are you kidding me? What better thing to do in Fiji than that? Are you with me? I want Cloud9 to be a wow. hookah bar so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, the genius. What well, close. Okay. Very interesting how mm. those are both basically place type descriptions. Yeah. That's so the, there's no easy way. You have yeah. to sort of think and imagine you're in Fiji and if you were building the bar or starting a band. It could go either way, really. I I'm going to go with Cloud9 being the bar. Cloud yeah. nine being the bar. Because I think like with your inclination, it's like if you if it's not a hookah bar, at least you're getting yourself onto cloud nine through that. Mm. I suppose arguably music could do doing the same yeah. thing. Mm. 
But I don't I'm know. I'm going to go with you on this one. Maybe, it's a tough one. Maybe it's, it's a so band hard. from Fiji that was really into Avenue Q and they're a tribute. They do, do they do all covers of songs from Could Avenue be. Q? Could be. It will be revealed in just a moment. So we're, what we're saying is we're going to go get something to eat at Cloud Nine and listen to Avenue Q. Yes. Well, Cloud Nine is indeed your floating paradise. The only two-level floating platform bar wow. in the world. It's amazing. The Nicely only two-level floating oh, bar. Excellent. Uh, with an internationally stocked bar. Wow. Where is there not an internationally right. stocked bar? Which is what <laughs> occurred to me. I mean, that's a great uh, term. The and, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's, it's a floating island of sorts. And you can dive into the beautiful turquoise blue water and enjoy the picturesque views in your swimming suit, I imagine. And then top it all off with some delicious Italian wood-fired pizza. <laughs> I, mean, I did not expect that. Water, you know, yeah. I, like, yeah, yeah. I did I'm not expect a, pizza. You're just like dripping wet. <laughs> yeah. That's a great bikini. <laughs> <laughs> is that a tum? Uh, well, I've lost myself with this. So that is Cloud Nine. In fact, is a bar. Avenue Fiji is a multi-ethnic pop and culture concert band. Five piece music with strings, percussion, vocals, and good vibes. Their Facebook page gave little or no information, and their management, O-N-Y-X Fiji, that's onyxfiji.com, also gave little information <laughs> other than the fact that they were good and traditional. If you want to know more about Avenue Fiji, go to www.onyxfiji.com and play a couple of their tracks. It is pretty cool stuff. A lot oh, of wow. ukulele and island-type music. So congratulations, Evan. You're a winner. Yeah. Your job now is Sweet. to take us someplace next week. Anywhere oh. in the world where I can research. Pick a place. You know, Any place. and find a band or a bar name. Anywhere in the world. Interesting. Anywhere <laughs> in the world. Uh, 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 oh, boy. Oh, boy. What would I pick? I'm such... I'm like the least traveled person of anyone I know. Well. So... <laughs> Change that up a bit. I know. Well, I, when I was a kid, we, my parents wanted us to travel, so we did that. But then, mm-hmm. and now as I get old, I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't travel. Um, <laughs> but all the same, uh, let's pick Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia is where we'll go down under for next week's. They have an opera house, band name or bar name. They sure do, and a lot they of have pubs. a lot of things there. Yeah. I'm sure music. they have a lot of bands and a lot Sydney, of pubs. Yeah. That's where we'll go. So tune in next week to see what bar or band we'll be going and checking out and eating. And blah, 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 blah. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> Quite welcome. That was band name or bar name brought to you by your name here. Email us at ytuneshuffle at gmail.com for sponsorship information. Evan, thinking very hard, we would love to hear the story of your very first concert ever. My very first concert. The first one that I can remember is, I believe, the Jackson Five. Wow! The whole five. Were you allowed to like them then? Well, this was part of how that whole came about. Because my older sister was the one who wanted to go. She was a fine And so my parents were like, well, we're... Got to bring Evan with you. <laughs> that, that, that was like first run Jackson Five. That wasn't reunion oh, Jackson. 5. No, no, this oh, was old. Wow, this man. was mid seventies. Oh my god! Um, they brought Janet up on stage because she was the cute little boy. The little Janet came on stage. Um, and it was all those, you know, ABC, one, two, three, all that oh, stuff. Wow. wow, man! And at the Circle Star Theater, where the stage is going around and around and around. Wow! And uh, I loved it. Sure. Um, and then I don't know how long it was after that that I wasn't allowed to like them anymore. No. <laughs> but it's, you know. What a, I, I, we're not going to match that one. For what it's worth, it. by the way, so my sister and I did go off in different directions musically. And then, of course, you know, when we grew out of that, her quicker than me and I didn't know it. But then we're able to be like, hey, since I've gone way over here, let me play you some Andy Morricone. And she'd be like, well, in the meantime, I've gotten into Fred Astaire and all this oh, other God. stuff. Let me play you some of that. And so now we were able to expose each other to way more different types of music wow. than we probably would have had we had had that not gone that way so music in the end it worked again. out music strikes so, again was it just the two of you that went to that show uh i can't remember if it was i also have a younger sister and i don't know that she was there i can't remember if we went with my parents or with like one of her friends and their parents or something it's too vague. I was really little. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, I know it was me and, and my sister, at least, my older sister, at least. And Michael Jackson and the Jackson and, 5. Yeah. yeah, Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5. All right, well, top it, off for, top it off for us. What about the story of your very last concert, the last show you saw? 
the last show, like in big concert type stuff, and probably it doesn't matter anything. Well, the last big, well, I think in terms of big, mm-hmm. big concerts, I think the last one I might have seen was Pink Floyd when they did a Momentary Lapse of Reason. That was the last time I went to a really big Here in town. Like venue. Arena show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was actually back in the Bay Area still, too. I have not, I mean, I've gone to clubs and stuff to see bands. That was, you know, sitting there in the rain, getting rained out and like, oh, man. I'm soaking wet. Look. As soon as they get to comfortably numb, I'm out of here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they open with the song. No, no, they they that one. It was really a funny concert too because they're playing all this stuff off. The, and he basically said something to the effect, basically saying that he understood that you guys don't like this new record as well. You're waiting for coming. I know you guys are. I'm going to make you wait more for comfortably numb and those other. You know, yeah. he said that. He he said something that was. Subtle. I can't remember exactly the like, but it, uh, it made it very clear that he knew right. that we're all we're not here because of this new record. Yeah. Some of us are. Yeah. I certainly wasn't. That record wasn't huge for me, but seeing them live was. Oh so. sure. Yeah. So yeah, we had to wait a couple hours, soaked through to the bone. Oh, wow. I think it was Candlestick Park or something. So you're outdoors and just getting rained on. That can be fun though, and that turned out to be great because because yeah. we got out before it without having to deal with crowds and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. We all, you know, we're that's the tons trick. of the good stuff. So it was like more than two thirds of the way through the show. So. Wow. But I think that was the last big venue concert. I am going to be going to one for the first time, like a big kind of show, because of my kids. They want to see Imagine Dragons. Oh wow! So we're going to go see them soon. I can't remember what the date is, oh, but wow. it's coming up soon. You're we're going to go like, see Imagine Dragons. Fun. Yeah, yeah. So I got to research. I, I think I only know like two songs. No, you'll have fun. Because <laughs> now I'm band. old. No. My children have to tell me what music is. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> this show teaches me a lot, believe me. <laughs> well, this is the part of the show where you get to plug away promo. How do we keep up with you? You've uh, acquired so many new fans and they're dying to know what you're up to. Um, well, let's see. I uh, There's evanschletter.com, sort of the first place you can go to see what I've done and what I do. Um, I do have a podcast called Fantastical Musicorium. I don't do episodes that often because I don't do them the right way. <laughs> I put too much time into them, so they take a long time. So so they come out every once in a while. Um, but subscribe and you'll get the next episode. Um, I have one almost ready. Um, and then um, most of what I do is music for TV shows. So I don't know. Does this coming out soon or does this – do you guys – It'll Bank them ahead of time. Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. uh, I do another podcast, Paul F. Tompkins, Spontaneous Nation. And see, that one, we're like a month ahead. Okay. So I'd have to be thinking, what's going on in May or whatever? Yeah. Um, but April 27th, the show I did music for with songs and scoring, uh, is it's a cartoon for Amazon. That'll be coming out. What's it called? Um, it's called Little Big Awesome. Uh, it's got Weird Al Yankovic in it. Oh, and, cool, um, cool. Uh, Amy Mann. We're they're sold, the, they're yeah. the Sun of the Moon. They're like side characters in it. but So they're in quite a few of the episodes and a lot of really talented, really funny people do voices on it. And so there's songs. I got to write songs with lyrics and scoring. Um, then uh, later this year, there will be a show called Misfits and Monsters, Bobcat Goldthwaite's kind of Twilight Zone mm-hmm. show. And I've been scoring that. And um, Dana Gould has a show, uh, Stand Against Evil. I do music for that. And that'll be coming out later. In the that's in its second well. season. That's now, right? uh, third season. Third? Wow, man. Little short seasons, but it's Dana. Second. Oh, that's so yeah, cool. That's yeah. a fun one. So look for those things. Perfect. Um, you can find me on Twitter. At? Uh, at Evan Schletter. I think just Evan Schletter. Is that how I my... Yeah, I think it's just my name. Cool. So. I know. Spelling is hard. So yes. in the blog, oh. I'll make sure that I put links to all that stuff too. But this was uh, great. Yes. This yeah. was terrific. This is so cool. Thank you so much Quite for being welcome. on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Y2 Shuffle. <laughs>